Welcome to The State of Us. Real people with honest opinions and the future of responsible media. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. Welcome and thank you for being here. Positive thinking as an anti-poverty strategy. The economic view in the New York Times Sunday, July 15th edition had this article and it caught my attention because you know me, Mr. Positivity. We're going to look at if you can believe it, you can achieve it. And now it's not quite that pie in the sky. In fact, the article opens with, quote, believe in yourself and in your future. May sound like a vapid self mantra, but there is growing evidence that it can be used as an anti-poverty strategy. And of course, no show on positivity could be complete without. Your friendly redneck liberal, Lance Jackson. Hey, I'm positive I'm always going to be poor. Nice. Does, that, yeah. does that work? Is that the kind of, that's, not, that's not what they're no, talking about. No, no. not quite. Okay. I don't think that's what they were Man, going for. I was for, trying to be positive. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I'm positive. Oh, it's got to be the right have... kind of positive. There you go. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm all ears. So. I think I believe in this. Yeah. Partially. Yeah. I think it lays out. I'm really yeah, some I'm caveats. Like, you know, I, I just, you know, just for public disclaimer before we get started, I did ask my producer which side I'm supposed to take on this today. So, I mean, I can, I, I'm kind of torn. You're on the fence at the on, moment, maybe. Well, there's parts of it I agree with, and there's things that I think you need to add to it to make it work. But well, in our solutions section, I think you'll I'll have- I'll be all over you'll, it. Yeah, you'll have some, okay. have some good right. stuff for us. So, while poverty can include uh, hopelessness, setting off a vicious cycle, modest interventions that instill a sense of hope can sometimes lead to remarkable improvements, according to recent research. In an experiment conducted by two American economists, uh, they showed a documentary and 326 indigenous women who were eligible for small loans from a community bank watched it. The women in the film were also community bank clients, and the documentary showed how they used a loan to expand their business. The 326 women in the study participated in a four-week, quote, hope curriculum, end quote, in which they set their own goals, discussed them, and visualized how they would lift themselves from poverty. The program succeeded in improving the participants' outlooks and raising their aspirations, though not enough time has passed to prove whether or not in the short term it increased their incomes. Now, a different study in India, conducted by five scholars based in Britain and India, ran a short course on a personal growth for 264 sex workers who had often felt stigmatized and powerless. After participating, the women had measurably greater self-esteem and a stronger belief that they could determine the course of their lives. More concretely, they began saving more money and getting more frequent health checkups. And these are just two. I mean, the article cites, what, probably four or five mm -hmm. lands, different studies with different results. Right. But basically, the, the whole concept is, is if you approach things, the whole premise is if you approach things on a more positive note then it appears that people then start to feel better about themselves and work harder to achieve the goals that they've set for themselves. I mean, that's basically, and that, and that's the mantra, right? That we normally hear yes. is that if you're optimistic, then that optimism will allow you to work harder and to make you more confident in achieving the goals that you've set. Yeah. Nowhere in there is the word success mentioned it, but, but you will feel. Success is relative. Mm-hmm. 
but you'll feel so, better about yourself mm-hmm. and you maybe start to take care of yourself better because you have a more positive outlook on life. Which in turn, generally, <clears throat> right, is supposed to translate then to being better off right. economically because if you work harder, if you believe that there is a way forward, you're more likely to be open to the opportunity And continue to work to achieve it instead right. of at the end of the week saying, gee, I don't have any more money than I had last week. Well, no, it takes longer than that. Yeah. Right? And that's some of it too, is the longevity of, mm-hmm. of it. Which so, they mentioned, you know, yeah. that, that the economic outcomes of these are yet to be determined because of the briefness of the brevity of the, of the testing time. Right. Just not enough time, but there are some, and they discuss this, and this is what I think we want to focus some on the solution section because it's an easy example to understand. Well, but why should we be, why should our listeners be interested in this? Well, yeah, that's, that's a good point because, well, what if you're what not, what does this have to do with right, me? What if you're you not know, I mean, poor? I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, if you're poor, you, you should hopefully, or if let's forget if you're poor, if you don't have the kind of life you want, then this does apply to you because the reality is if we set aside for a moment, the, the issue that poor people have, the reason they don't have a good life, right, is mainly, or at least what they'd probably describe is they don't have enough money to have a good life. Right. They're, they're struggling so hard to have enough money that that's why they don't have a good life. But for anybody- but we've got thousands and millions of examples on reality TV showing people who have money who are very unhappy. Exactly. So I think there's a wider- listening application to this this than Mm -hmm. just economics. Yeah. You care because like I said, if you don't like the life you have, or maybe just something about the life, this is a template for how it changes, how it can be made better. Uh, These programs, while specifically for people who are impoverished, uh, also naturally benefit people who aren't impoverished because if the workforce overall is stronger, uh, then the country does better, i.e. you do better. Uh, so there's a trickle up effect uh, in some ways. And then the larger, if we pull back further and say, how can you use what we're talking about? You can use it if you just don't like something in your life right now. You can use it to approach that. But it's real strategies. It's not what I what I like about the article and the, the, the testing that they've done is it's not we're going to all dance around the tree singing kumbaya. Right. We're not all just going to say, you know, if you, think, if you think positive things, good things will happen to you. I, I have a problem with that. Yeah, you have to but, do. But there's some things there that they're doing with these people and showing them and giving them the skills that they need to be to put into practice that will allow them to be more successful. And I think that's the important part is I do believe in optimism, but you also have to have some skills to go with it. And that's what these studies are all doing is yes, we're trying to get them to be optimistic by showing them in how to be successful and yeah. what tools they need to use to be successful as well as being optimistic. And I think that applies to everybody. And that's the great thing about the the program that I think is this is the easiest example to share uh, with you at home listening is uh, there's a nonprofit in Bangladesh that has been doing work in Bangladesh and in India, Ethiopia, Peru, and other countries where what they've done is they've given poor people livestock while training them on how to care for the animals and how to make money from the animals. So it isn't, and this is, I think, where critics of these programs a lot of times have problems, is that 
when you give something to somebody, it encourages laziness because it's, you're not doing anything to better your situation. Oh, and by the way, here's some free food or here's some free money or here's a free cow. You know, look, I mean, you're almost in some ways inadvertently uh, giving some positive reinforcement for being poor, mm-hmm. which obviously you don't, you know, you don't want to do that inadvertently. But the nice thing I think about this is there's a teaching that's going along with it that is, you know, we could just give you this cow and you could turn around and sell it, but it will be a bigger benefit for you if we give you this cow and show you how you can milk it and give your family milk every, you know, day for years and sell the extra. Well, like we talked about on the way in to the studio, you know, I said, it's a good thing that they gave them the cow because if you just gave somebody the money to make a cow, the way a lot of what I've read about poverty and the way in coming in contact with students who come from poverty families is that, well, if you give me the money, I'm going to go buy a cow, but spend instead of spending $500 on that cow and getting a good cow, because you gave me $500, I'll spend $200 on it and get a little sickly weak cow, because now I have $300 that I can go buy food for six months for my family. Right. So I think I'm doing a good thing within my realm of knowledge and everything else. I did a good thing. I saved $300 out of that 500 that you gave me to buy a cow. I went ahead and bought a cow and bought food for six months. Why is that a bad thing? Well, because three months down the road, the cow's dead. And then two months later, your food's gone. And now you have nothing. And so I think that's where it comes down to the teaching aspect. I think so many times, and I just had this discussion with one of my daughters last night. So many times we don't put ourselves in position of people who come from poverty, who are trying to make their way out, we think they see the world the same way we do, but they don't because their experiences aren't the same. I'm not saying they're not smart. I'm not saying they're lazy. No, they don't know. You know, take for example, a person who's looking for, they graduate from college. They're the first person there in their family to graduate from college. They even go through the application process and find a job in another city. They're going to be the first person in their family to move away from home. Do they know what it takes? Of course not. I mean, how could they? And so so then we point as a society, we point to these people and say, well, see, they can't be successful. We gave them $500 and they wasted it on a color TV and a new pair of Nikes. Well, yeah, because you got to teach them how to spend that $500. Right. You have to buy that cow for them. Don't give them the money and then show them how to feed the cow so you'll get enough milk. Because they'll say, well, yeah, we're feeding the cow, but I'm not getting enough milk. Well, are you feeding it the right way? Sorghum? Are you feeding it this? Are you feeding it the right time of day? Are you watering it enough? I didn't know I had to do that. I've never had a cow before. Yeah. You know, you have to teach people. Right. I mean, doggone, I know, gets back to me, the teacher in education. <laughs> That's exactly, I wrote it down. I wrote down education because when we get to the solution portion, it's it's such a big part of that. I mean, it's the whole notion that you can't, it is like asking, you know, some, it, it's what I wrote down while you were speaking is you can't ask somebody to look to tomorrow if they can't eat today. Because for them, there is no tomorrow if they don't have food today. So like you said, when you give them that money, the thought is, well, if I have to get a cow, you know, one, I might not get it at all because my thought is I don't have food. Maybe I have food today, but I don't have it for the end of the week. So I'm not going to buy a cow that I'm not going to get any money for, you know, for a month because I, I can't think that far out. I don't have food now. So it's this whole, 
you know, it's this whole notion of understanding that they are in a situation where they might not know. And that's, again, when we get to the solution section about why programs like Medicaid and food stamps, if they can be properly implemented, why they're important, because they, you have to, they have to have enough stability that they can really feel like they can plan, you know, a little bit. I mean, we're talking about, in your example, six months. We're not talking about what most of us think about planning being a year or several years out. We're not talking about that. Just, well, how know, many people even know road. how to, people even know how to do that? Right. You know, it's like when, when I first got married, I, I, you know, and my wife and I were talking, I said, well, yeah, I've got a, I've got an economic plan for this week. I've got an economic plan for the month. I have an economic plan for six months. I have a one-year plan, a two-year plan, a five-year plan. She goes, what? Right. You know, and again, talk about family dynamics. I mean, I was the oldest. She was the youngest. I was older than her, you know, but that was just, it wasn't that she didn't know. She had never had to experience that before. There was no reason that she would have. To even be thinking about that or knowing that. Yeah. And now after being married for 35 years, she goes, okay, where are we in the five-year plan? And she goes, I think we're kind of done. I'm like, yeah, we are. And she's spot on because she knows because we've discussed it. You know, after all these years, we're pretty much on the same track. But it was us talking about it and learning and, and discussing that we learned how to make these plans. Yeah. And one, it takes, and it is that practice. But if you've too. lived from hand to mouth, like you talk about, that's your whole life. That's been your whole existence. Right. You're fighting that, for the food every day. And that's all you know. Mm-hmm. Or to keep the, you know, keep the heat going in the winter. I mean, it's really hard. Or keep the electricity running so the, the little bit of food you have in the right, doesn't refrigerator go bad. doesn't go bad. You know, it's, sometimes it's, unless unless you give them a way to have that stability, you can't, you can't just give it to them and not tell them how to use it. You know, you can't just give it to them because they're going to, you know, they're going to do what they see as the top priority. They, it's not reasonable to ask them to understand that the way you see the priority is this, you know, because you'd probably see the priority differently too, if you didn't know how you were going to eat tomorrow. Amen. You know, like, exactly. I mean, it's, it's exactly my you'd point. Be amazing you, you summed it up very well. If somebody else, you know, if tomorrow somebody said, you don't know how you're going to eat anymore and I'm giving you $500, what are you going to do with that? you're probably going to go buy food, right? I mean, that's what you're going to do. That's what most people, even if you know that you should be planning, if somebody said you're not going to be able to eat tomorrow, here's some money, you're probably going to use that for your food. And you're probably you not going to buy healthy food. No. You're going to buy the cheap food you're that's not as healthy yeah. so that you can have more of it. Yeah. Well, not even say you're not going to know how to eat tomorrow. Here's $500 and you don't know how you're going to eat from now on. You know, we've taken away everything that you know and love and all you have is this money and you don't know how you're going to eat from now on. So here you go. I mean, most of us would probably say, well, I'm going to scrounge every penny of it and use it for food because that's a survival instinct. You mm-hmm. know, we got to have food before before anything else because uh, we die pretty quick without it. So, all right. So we're going to continue the conversation, talk about maybe how this could be adapted, how it could be used here. Uh, we've kind of highlighted that already, but it's interesting because it's working in some very basic ways like livestock in these very impoverished countries where the even the notion of you know being self-employed is is novel so you're you're working uh you know by some standards it seems like a very simple solution but by standards in those countries these are complicated you know getting somebody who's never raised livestock to to understand how to do it to take care of it all of that those are big challenges so 
The fact that that's working, we're going to look at how we can translate that to our own country uh, and to our own lives. But before we do, it's important you understand why we take time to talk about these things instead of uh, the drama that a lot of times the mainstream news media discusses. And that's because True Chat's mission is to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. If you have any ethical concerns with today's episode, please email ethics at truechat.org. That's if you think we're doing something that's against our mission statement. If you don't think we're being honest, open, or respectful, you should let us know. Ethics at truechat.org. And what are your thoughts on today's show? Have you struggled with poverty yourself? Do you know somebody who has? Uh, did they get out of it? If they did, how, you know, what, what was that story and process like? How did it start? How did it end? Is it going on? Let us know in the comments below. We'd like your thoughts and input as always. So, and with that, we'll turn to the important part. Uh, the whole thing's important, but we'll turn to a very critical portion of the show, which is, well, what do we do about this? How do we make use of it? Uh, and with that, I think we'll look Lance said he has some thoughts about how we how we build on this and how we expand on the idea of, you know, we we teach people how to be optimistic, but what else can we do? Because a lot of anti-poverty programs in this country, Lance, I feel like are segmented. In other words, it's this, it's a non-unified approach. You can you can get health insurance that takes really good care of you. You can get food stamps so you can eat. You can get job training, but they're almost like they're these individual, um, I was going to say silos in a field, but I don't know if, hopefully everybody knows what a silo is. Um, Again, you're presuming a lot if people right. have grown up in, yeah. you know, in the middle Let's of New bowls, York City. Right. If they've grown up on Manhattan and never left Manhattan, then... They, they may not know. Right. We want to make a cake and we need eggs, flour, and water and some other stuff. But we'll just use these three as the example. We need those things. And right now they're in three separate bowls. And if we just cook those bowls, that ain't going to be a cake. Right. Uh, so we need them in one bowl. Uh, so talk to us, Lance. What does that What does that look like in your mind? Well, you're... How do we get them together? Well, you're right, too, in the fact that they are separate and we've always dealt with it that way. I mean, it's historical in the United States when after the Indian Wars and, and we put the the Indians on reservations, we gave them land and seed and tools and animals and said, okay, you nomadic hunters and semi-nomadic hunters and gatherers now become farmers and raise cattle. And then didn't educate them. We won't even get into the fact that we we gave them bad seed or they maybe didn't get all of their supplies or we gave them, you know, old equipment or whatever. But what we did was we gave them all this stuff or said we did as the government and then we didn't teach them how to use it. And so then a whole group of indigenous people get stereotyped as to their education level and everything else. And we see the poverty that we have today with our native American people, with our, with our Indians, you know, in that they still live in, in horrible conditions. And, and again, that was the U S government giving people something, but not training them, not teaching them how to use it and how to do it and how to be successful with it. Yeah. And so I think that's the key. And it's something that we've always done as a government. And we've seen that, Nonprofits tend to do a better job at this uh, of putting all the pieces together than the government does because it's so time consuming and it's so hard. It's almost like being a good parent 
Notice I'm not going to say a parent. Right. Because it's easy to be a parent. All you have to do is take a sex act or buy an embryo and an egg yeah. and put it together. And and then, okay, bam, you're now a parent. You're now in charge of but something. But to be a good parent. Yeah, but to be a good parent, it's work. You have to stay on it. You have to teach and teach and then reteach. And, you know, and, and sometimes you don't see it come to fruition until your offspring are in their mid-20s or 30s where you see them then taking those lessons that you spent day after day and year after year trying to instill in them and teach them and discipline them. They start to put them into effect in their own lives and come out on the other side as a well-adjusted, strong adult. And I don't think any government, look at the way our government is set up. We only give somebody four or eight years to be in charge. So by God, you better make change in the first two years that you're in office yeah. or you're not going to get reelected in four. So where's the incentive other than just throwing money or supplies at somebody and then we'll judge whether or not they're better off when in reality it takes so much more than that as far as effort and structure, but then time, you have to let it blossom and grow. That's like putting a seed in the ground and then going out tomorrow and say, okay, where's my tomatoes? Well, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, you plant the seed and you get the little thing and then you stake it up and then it grows. And then four or five months later, you've got more tomatoes than you know what to do with and you can sell them. And you spend almost nothing on the seed, but it took right. time and commitment and all kinds of stuff. I know that if I'm poor and I go to this office and fill out this application, they'll give me these stamps that I can turn in for food. But okay, so now I can get this food but I, I really don't know what kinds of food I should be buying. You know, I've been eating fast food, but now I can go to the grocery store and buy food, but I don't really know what kinds of food to get. So I get the things that look like they're going to be good, which aren't the healthy things. So then I get fat, you know, and now I have health problems and I'm still poor. That didn't change, you know, except I have food now. Um, and now I'm unhealthy. But the know. food I'm eating is creating other health problems for right, and me. Right, and so now you're on Medicaid, and I know now that because I got sick and I'm poor, I filled out this other form, and now I have this insurance, and I can go to the doctor. But again, hopefully what we're laying out here is the problem with all that is there's no, you know, it's all... I'm still dependent on other people. I'm not independently right. making my own decisions. And there's nothing, there's nothing that shows them how these programs, how they use them to enable them to get out of this. Now, it does work for some people. I was just talking with a guy today who had a mom who the programs, she was motivated enough that the programs allowed her to get out of it. And that's great that some people can do that, but it's definitely the exception, not the rule. Or where was her support system? Did, I, yeah. And I don't know the young man, but was it... Did she have grandparents? Right, a family. Did she who, have a church group or a social group of some kind that supported her in her efforts? And she used the programs as they were designed to to be as a bridge to right escape a troubled times. And people it wasn't teach you that it wasn't supposed to be a lifestyle. Yeah, and that none of these programs, as you said, filling out this application to get this EBT card or whatever, it wasn't supposed to be a lifestyle. It was supposed to be something that helped you get through the rough parts to get you back into society. And what we did is we didn't teach people skills. And so they learned the system 
in order to stay alive. So obviously they're smart enough. Right. Well, because the they're system intelligent enough because the system doesn't teach them how to get out of the system. Right. It just tells and them. That's the thought. That's the foul. That's the fall point. That's, that's the bad thing is the system we've created to help people in poverty doesn't teach them how to get out of poverty. It's kind of like if you imagine playing Monopoly, but nobody told you the objective. They just said, here's the rules. Go. Nobody would ever win because nobody would know what the, you know, it's like, well, here's what I can and What's can't do. What's the end do. goal? What am right? I trying to achieve? But I don't know what the objective is. I mean, they just go around the board forever, mm -hmm. you know, and anybody who's played Monopoly, know, it takes a long time to play a game if you know what you're doing. Collecting money and, and paying bills. And right. And trying to, you know, own all the properties. But if you don't know that's the objective, you know, and you're looking at the money you have, you're not going to take some of the risks that you have to take to win the game. I mean, the reality is the whole point of the game in Monopoly, you know, is calculated risk of spending more money than you probably should at different times to win. And the whole thinking there being that if you don't know that's the objective, you're not going to just spend that money probably willy-nilly. You're going to hold on to it and then nobody will ever win. You're all going to have bought your properties and then that's it, you know, and, and you'll play for, you know, days. And it's the same thing we're doing with these programs. It's there's no... Nobody's told them, you know, and, and some people are going to say, well, it's so simple. The programs are here to help make you better. But again, as we've said, if they don't, if they've never been exposed to that. They don't know. They might know what it looks like, but they don't know how to get from where they are to where they need to be. So it's the, it's and it's the not, in between and the connection that we're missing. And it's not an intelligence issue. Yeah. Gosh, I just want to, pre I want to drive that nail home. It's not that they're not smart enough. You can't judge somebody's intelligence if they've never been taught in the first place. And that's the key. Yeah. Their their capacity to do it is there a lot most of the time. The ability to be better is there. But if they don't have the tools to do it, it's the same. Or they've never yeah. been taught the skills or the tools or however you want to right. phrase it. Your car breaks down. And that's where we fall short. You know? So you say, what should it look like? You have to have the money with the teaching component to teach the skills and to give them the tools to then take the money or the objects that you've given them and then put them to work to achieve the goal. And optimism is a tool. It's not the end all be all. Optimism is one of the tools that you need to be successful. So by teaching them to be optimistic, you're, you're helping them out. But optimism in and by itself is not going to get them there. Yeah. That's one of the tools that people need to have. We have to give them the other tools that are needed to be successful. And that's where I think the And those article, of us who have been successful, we know what those tools are because we've used them. And we're there. And then you teach them to your kids, even if you're not, even if it's not a conversation. And that's the thing that's so important is it's not just, you know, well, my parents were successful and they, they sat down and explained to me everything they did. Part of it is kids are smart. And if you watch that and you grow up in that, you pick up so much of that without ever having to be told, because you know, but if you don't grow up in that and you grow up with, you see your parents struggling for food all the time, then that's what you know. You know, it's, you can't just expect somebody if I, you know, if I just hand some child a, a toolbox and say, here, this car's broke, fix it. Here's the tools, you know, but I, I'm not showing you how to use the tools. I'm just giving you the tools. You know, you might take the whole thing apart and never end up getting it fixed. I mean, you could tinker with it for probably indefinitely and never get it fixed. You know, even if you had exactly what you needed, 
or it's going to take you right two or three times as long as it would if, even if you had no experience, if we just, if we just showed you, here's how you do it. Now you do it, you know, again, so much of who we are has been, has been modeled for us. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, that's the catch word. It's laid out. There's a, there's a clear path. We've watched our parents do it. We've watched our grandparents do it. We've watched our neighbors do it. And so we've learned, as you said, through watching. We've learned because it's been modeled. And we've seen the result. And that's right. the, that's what I think, that's where the optimism thing comes in. The article ends with, still, it is welcome news that poverty alleviation programs can amplify the good they do just by making a better life seem and actually be within reach. It isn't just about the smiling person on the postcard at the, you know, at the, at your local, um, jobs and family services office. It's not just about that. It's about a video that you sit and watch that is a person just like you who was in poverty talking about what their life was like, what they did, and where they are now. That's what makes the difference. It can't just be, you know, you're trying to get here, you're here, and here's a bunch of stuff. That doesn't get you from point A to point B. They know what wealthy people or just decently off people look like. They know what that looks like. They see them all the time. That doesn't mean they know how to, how to get from A to B. You know, it's, it's a, it's a fog covered lake and they have no idea how to get across. And you can, you know, be out there just going in circles forever because nobody told you, uh, how to, how to do anything. So nobody showed you, nobody taught you. And that's the education thing that unfortunately we come back to all the time because it is in so many ways, a fault of, I think, how we view education. What is the purpose of an education? Because you get a lot of different answers based on who you ask. Is it to be ready for life? Is it to get a good job? Is it to get money? I don't know. You know, I think there's too many different- Well, and again, it depends on where you come from. Mm -hmm. And again, we try to give, we pass laws. I'm sorry, I don't want to make this an education show, but we pass laws mandating everybody's education is going to be the same. Well, if you get people who come from a different area or a different socioeconomic background or demographic, their education should be different than someone who comes from an education of doctors and lawyers or what. And I, I could open up a whole can of worms there, folks. And it's fine if you want to fire that at me, but it truly is because it meets the needs. You know, and I just give examples of teams I've coached. There are some players that need to be taught these skills there are other players that need to be taught these skills and there's these players that need to be taught something else. But unfortunately with only one coach, we run the same practice for everybody, but I really should run three separate practices. Right. Cause they don't all need, I mean, that's what we did in football. A huge part of our practice was spent with one of the bigger, you know, coaching staffs was spent in broken out groups most of the time, you know, and it was only probably like the first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes that we spent together all learning or doing because the each same group thing. had to learn different skills and the same things in your classroom. If you're a public school teacher, you have the same thing in your classroom. You have a group of 25 to 30 students, and I'm sure you could very easily break them up into three groups of 10, if not six groups of five, right? And teach the skills that they need to know. And but you can't do that, right? Because you're one person. And, and, that, if you, and the thing is, if you start all that sooner, you can do some more of the group stuff you want, but you gotta, we're, we're trying to teach all these people who are at different levels, the same thing. It, you know, if they were all at the same level, 
And if they guess, were all the same person, and guess where then the class size is the largest? In the poorest areas, K through three. Yeah, what in the youngest, the earliest? Because when you get to <laughs> high school and you are an advanced student, mm-hmm. you'll be sitting there with five or six classmates. But the kindergarten teacher has thirty. Right. And in the, right, and in they're the poor supposed districts, to get them to. In the poor districts, still have thirty-five or a forty. Yeah. With one teacher, when it should be just the opposite. A kindergarten teacher, and I wasn't one. But bless you people, K through two oh. people, K through three people, you should have no more than 12 kids in a class. Yeah. Because it's just because not realistic. Then you can make a difference. And then you know what? It doesn't matter if class size increases because everybody's on a level playing field. When they have the tools to deal with, even if they're not, they're better equipped for themselves to adjust. You know, Contact, but- contact this station. Uh, this podcast, this company, yeah. if you would like for me to run for Secretary of Education, <laughs> all you primary grade teachers. That's right. Because I feel your pain. But again, the system is backwards. We can't just throw money at it. We need to throw money at it to solve problems. And that's the same thing. Optimism is a, is a key component, but it's just one part of the puzzle to help to get people out of poverty. A lot of the programs are in place. What we have to do is do that holistic approach because that's, I think, hopefully what you all have arrived at is that's the biggest thing we are missing is we have so many of the right kind of things available, but we don't have a unified approach with those. And that's not just the programs, it's the education too. It's the whole thing. You know, it's it's like what True Chat does for a living. It's podcasting as a service. You know, you can't just can't just record it for them because that that's not all there is. You know, there's a whole other thing. It's great that you have this nice recording now, but how are people going to use it? And that's the same thing here. It's we're doing all these things separately. And what they really need to be done is in a, you know, planned, cohesive way. And that's not what we're doing. Um, and it isn't. Uh, hopefully, as we've outlined, it's not, it's not rocket science. because Be one of the resources for people. Yes. Volunteer your time at a local nonprofit or a local school and be a resource for these people that need your knowledge and Mentor. your skill and your skill set. And, you know, as we always say, I feel like we're just beat the same thing over and over again, but talk to your elected officials, not just your congressman either, because so much of this stuff, we look at the federal level to handle it. And as Lance has highlighted, so many areas in the country are so different from one another. The federal government has these great programs in place and the states and the local communities are really the ones that have to champion how to show these people a way out because it is very different in Urbana uh, versus, you know, small town in California. Very different, very different. Uh, So with that, you can listen to True Chat Podcast on Stitcher Radio or Apple Podcasts, and you can also let us know what you think of today's episode or listen by going to our website, truechat.org, or download the True Chat app. We always appreciate you being here and all of your input for the state of us on True Chat in Urbana, Ohio. I'm Justin T. Weller. And I'm Lance Jackson. Thank you very much for tuning in. We will see you next time on The State of Us. Be the change.
For responsible media, listen on demand to politics, sports, and more with the True Chat app or at truechat.org. Beyond the horizon, there is trustworthy media at True Chat.